new, unique, better, pure high priest who died once for all. He now lands, the writer of Hebrews now lands in this immediate context first in the same chapter of Hebrews chapter 12 that you are a runner in this race. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a runner in this race. And you could only run this race if, according to verse 1, this You fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Not only are you a runner in this race, but also you are a son or a daughter who is being disciplined. You recall chapter 12, verse 6, For whom the Lord loves, he disciplined, he scourges every son he receives. Verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems to be joyful, not not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, we say all these things because all of that is impregnated in this word, verse 12, therefore. Okay. He doesn't tell us, notice the author doesn't tell us to change our lives, to live a certain way without first establishing the truths that are set before us. Uh, Another way you could say grammatically, he doesn't give us imperatives unless he gives us the indicatives. He doesn't tell us what to do until he tells us what Christ has done. And so I belabor this point because before I give the imperatives, and there are many imperatives here, I want you brothers and sisters to remember we, we come here as redeemed sinners because of what Christ has done, because of the blood that he has shed for us. And that is the only way we could serve and run for him. Amen? That's the only way we have strength for that. So now we come to the passage that we are talking about. And from this passage this morning, the preaching point is quite simply, God exhorts you to follow him. He has laid out the doctrinal distinctions. He has talked about the sacrifices from the Old Testament, how they were a shadow, and now Christ is the substance. And now God, in his word, says, now follow me. Make a definitive resolution in your life to follow me. There are three distinctives he wants us to think about when we follow him. Three mindsets perspectives we have to keep in mind. The first one is to, in verses 12 to 13, to continue in the race. To continue in the race. He continues to speak to this mixed crowd. You remember the author of Hebrews speaks to those who trust in Christ, and he also speaks to those who have a connection with the church, but is contemplating falling away. Contemplating going back to legalism. Contemplating leaving. The believers in the church and those who have come to the church, they heard the gospel. They knew the benefits of Christ. They know what Christ has done for them. And yet now they're being tempted to return to legalism and to works righteousness and some to start paganism. 
So he continues on with the running metaphor that he started in verse 1 from the beginning of the chapter. Here, the author encourages the audience to stay in it for the long haul. And this is the encouragement to continue in the race. You are to stay in it, brothers and sisters, whether you're young or whether you're old, you are to stay in the race for the long haul. Your run with Christ is not a hundred yard dash. Your run with Christ is a long marathon in which you need sustained strength, brothers and sisters. It gets daunting. It gets discouraging at times. Sometimes we get tired. And so what he says to continue in the race, he gives us two resources. One, strengthen in the gospel, verse 12. Strengthen in the gospel. This is where we find strength. This is where we find power. This is where we find vitality. Strengthen in the gospel. Strengthen the hands that are weak, he says in verse 12. As you run, and if you're running for a long distance, as you're going, your arms actually start to get tired. As fatigue starts to set in, you can watch someone's gait. When they're first running, they look really strong. Their gait is here, up and forward, right? But as this fatigue starts to set in, your arms, which help in your rhythm and your gait, start to slow down. And sometimes I see guys, when I used to run a lot more, they would start out like this, and then they start running like this afterwards, right? Because they're fatigued. He says, and the knees that are feeble, as the arms slow down, the knees begin to wobble. And your only hope, brothers and sisters, to finish strong, Your only hope to finish as a testimony to Christ is to look upon Jesus, brothers and sisters. That's why he set that up in Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here. He is the example par excellence of faith. He is the author and perfecter. He is the beginning and the end. Who for the joy set before him, he, he sought after joy. And it was not joyful for him to go to the cross. It was what it accomplished. That he could redeem a people for himself. That he could worship God, honor the Father by laying himself down. He despised the shame. He didn't care what people thought. He continued on and he raced toward his goal. And he says he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And brothers and sisters, this should encourage you to run. When you know that Jesus sat down, when you know that he finished all that you needed to, all that needed to be accomplished to win your redemption, to pay every sin, every foulness, every evil thought, all of it is done. And so he says... If you're that kind of a person who trusts in Christ, if you're that kind of a person who's been transformed, he says, run and run with Christ in your vision. Make him your strength. He is your finish line, brothers and sisters. Jesus did it in the strength of the Spirit. He joyously obeyed and suffered. He didn't care what people thought. He finished your redemption. Oh, brothers and sisters, just hearing that, hearing that can cause me to have my second win. Amen?
Here's remember that old song. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Help me stand. I'm tired. I am weak. I am worn. And through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. You see, the writer of Hebrews was quoting Isaiah 35 when he was prophesying to a people who had bad kings, false prophets, hypocritical priests, and the danger of peoples dominating and destroying them. He said in Isaiah 35, 3, he uses the same kind of verbiage. Encourage the exhausted, strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. And in other words, in the same vein of that exhortation, brothers and sisters, don't quit now. Don't quit now when we've gotten so far. The finish line is just ahead. Christ is there. Amen. So it is the immature or the naive Christian who thinks this is going to be easy. Or that there should be no hardships. Or who thinks hardships is not part of Christianity. That is immature. That is not long-sighted. Let me tell you, you do not begin to grow until you know where to fix your eyes. And all the older Christians will say, Amen! Correct? God teaches this over and over again. You know it from the beginning. You fix your eyes on Christ when you're first saved. Then as the days go by, you think you could run this race alone. But without his strength and without his comfort, you fall on your face. And then you relearn. Amen? I need his strength again. But not only that, it's, it's selfish to only tend to your own progress. You notice he doesn't say what he doesn't say. Therefore, strengthen our hands that are weak and our knees that are feeble. He doesn't use the personal possessive pronoun. He uses strengthen the hands and the knees. Not just our own weaknesses, but in those who are suffering from the brothers and sisters. And I noticed this, brothers and sisters, if you are focused and watering others, as the psalmist say, you will, you will yourself be refreshed. As you refresh others, you will be refreshed. If you are focused on the work of Christ and focused on discipling and focused on blessing others and focused on encouraging others, brothers and sisters, you yourself become encouraged. Is this not? As you are God's hands to strengthen other people. As you are God's people to help them as they are running and walking. We love those stories when you see a marathon runner and he falls. And someone, uh, and he was the winner, but the, someone else comes by and he picks him up. And rather than taking the win, he helps the other person by. Why? We see that as camaraderie and love. Brothers and sisters, that's what God has called you to do. To have eyes, to, be, to have your eyes open, to look at those who are struggling, and to help them, give them a word of encouragement, not to hit them with a bat. 
Amen? We all need that. Strengthen the hands, brothers and sisters. Can I, can I just say, I want to say something. As a way of application, I notice that those who are dominated with a lack of contentedness, dominated with depression, most of the time, not all the time, okay? Most of the time are those who are not pouring into others. They are only concerned with themselves and their lack of happiness or their own view of happiness. And oftentimes, encouragement to follow God in your own race is strengthened when you are concerned with others' races as well. Amen? There are many times I would talk with another brother and say, hey, I'm kind of weak right now. I need your strength. I need some strength. Will you pray for me? I need Christ's strength. And that's how we ought to be. So, strengthen in the gospel. Next, heal in the gospel. Look at verse 13. And make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Make straight paths for your feet. The word there for paths means to be it's the, it's the tracks that are left behind in the uh, dirt road by a chariot or a wagon. And because of those tracks, because it's a well-beaten road, you are to follow it. In other words, he says to make straight paths for your feet. To stay in your lane. To not be distracted. To stay straight. Look ahead, don't be distracted. And as you are straight, people will be able to follow that track as well. He says, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Now, this is most likely what this means, so that the limb which is lame. This most likely, these are professing believers who attend church, but are not saved. They know about Christ and his work, but they have not surrendered. They may look like they're running, but they're very prone to stumbling. And then finally, when it finally comes to a head, they apostatize. These are folks who try to ride both sides of the fences. Jesus is my Savior, but He's not my Lord. There is no such thing. There is no such thing. They are, the Bible says, they're lame. I mean, even in our vernacular, they are lame, lame, right? Wishy-washy, uncommitted. They may go back to their old religion or their old life. They're always wandering. They're never settling. This limping unbeliever can finally be, be put out of joint, which means spiritually dislocated. I remember it was... Oh, uh, I had this experience. I was with uh, Tachi and we were practicing on the mat. And Tachi's, one of her knees are loose. It's just loose, right? I didn't even touch her. I just gave her a nudge like this. And she was ready to, she was going to do a move where she kind of rolls over her own leg. And she said, Wah! and her, she was just shouting in pain. She could not go on. She's like, dad, 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 dad. And all these tears started coming out, right? And her leg was stuck, right? And everyone in the mat room just stopped. Why? 
She could not go on. At that point, she was lame, right? She was lame, right? She couldn't move. And so as I grabbed her leg, I could feel, and I looked at her knee, it was all contorted and different. It was weird, right? So as I held her leg, I kindly, slowly inched it out. And she was still in pain. And I inched it a little bit. She was in pain and pain. And I kind of just moved my elbow. No, she'd go, no, dad, no, dad, no, dad. She was like that, right? And I would inch it. And then all of a sudden it went, I felt it. It went, pop. And it slid right back. And then she looked at me. She goes, oh, it's gone. So she was like, ah, oh, it's gone. Right? We ought to be that way with folks. Amen. To set that dislocation. It says here, notice what it says. So the lame which is so the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint spiritually, right? We know that that's a spiritual metaphor. He's still working in the physical realm of the race, right? But he says, but rather what does it say? Be what? Healed. Be healed. Maybe you come this morning and you maybe you're like that you're kind of lame you're not spiritually right do you know that there is truth you know that there is a christ you know that there's a god you know that there's heaven and hell but you know it's just it doesn't settle with you and i'm glad you're here i think god is drawing you to finally get healing in christ see god gives us his own son. We were created to image forth his glory and we have sinned and we have been all, we have all fallen away from him. And God gave us his son who lived and died and was buried and resurrected and was raised again and he sits at the right hand of God. And the Bible says right now you can find healing, spiritual healing in Christ right now by placing your trust in him and surrendering your life right now I want to encourage you to do that if you want to talk about that later on I want to talk to you but to follow God you have to continue in the race you know where strength comes from and if you are not a believer, you know where healing comes from and you receive it. But second, you have to focus on the essentials. Focus on the essentials. Notice in verse 14. What's he say in verse 14? Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Now, at first glance, when you take a look at this, you might think, uh, is he teaching a works righteousness? And no, that's not what he's teaching. As one commentator put it, Christians here, for, to better understand it, Christians are already positionally in our standing with God the Father at peace. Amen? Doesn't Romans say that? Romans chapter 5? Right? We are at peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have 
peace with God. So positionally, as God the Father looks at me, the blood of Christ is on me. His merit, his life is on me. And so God the Father looks at me and says, and we are no longer at enmity. We are reconciled. We have peace. Positionally, I have the complete righteousness of Christ. So that when God the Father looks at me, it's not the best Angelo could ever do. It is the perfect righteousness of Christ himself credited to me. But practically, (laughs) practically, we can work on our peace. Amen. Practically, we could work on our thirst and our hunger and pursuit of righteousness. And this is what he's talking about here. There is much to do practically. You need to pursue as you follow God these essentials. Number one, this first, there's only, he's, he, he breaks it down to two essentials. And we know this like from the golden rule. He says the first one, love people. Love people. Verse 14a, he says, pursue peace with all men. The word there for pursue means to, to run after, to strive after. And it's a command. It's, it's not some option for you to do. Well, you know, and if they're at odds with me, I don't know if I'm going to just, I just won't talk to them. No, the Bible says, as Christians, you are to pursue peace practically with all men. Now, I like to share this verse, and uh, you could jot this down, Romans chapter 12, verse 18. You are to do everything possible. Now, why don't we turn there? Here, Romans chapter 12, verse 18. What this is saying is that you are to do everything possible, as Paul clarifies for us, on your part to pursue peace. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, it says, if possible, the reason why he says if possible, sometimes it's not possible. But he says what? So far as it depends on you to be at peace with all men. Don't be cantankerous. Don't always get into social media fights. Don't always get into arguments and, and stuff like that. What, what Paul, uh, excuse me, what Paul is saying in Romans and what the author of Hebrews is saying is you are only responsible for what you can do. Whatever someone does to you, it's not an excuse to exact your vengeance. And so the writer of Hebrews says, to pursue peace with all men. And go back to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. And 14b says, And the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. The sanctification here is this growing to be more like Christ. This sanctification is growing in righteousness, growing more into the practical image of Christ, growing in godliness, that you would grow in maturity, the way Jesus would react, the way Jesus would think, the way Jesus values, what he loves, what he cherishes, what he hates and despises, that that would be adopted into your life, that you would be a fragrant aroma of Christ yourself. So he says, without which no one will see the Lord. And so what he's saying here is that if unbelievers around you do not see your desire for peace with other people, do not see your desires for holiness and righteousness as you pursue and love God, 
they will not be convinced of the gospel. Your life is an evangelistic tool by which others can see the consistency of what you believe and how you live. Does this person, this is what gives the gospel adornment. Does this person pursue peace with all people? And does this person seek after holiness and righteousness? If you're always fighting with others and not pursuing holiness, then those around you will not see the Lord. Why? Because the legitimacy of what you say and the, does not match with what you do. So your gospel witness, you're shooting your own foot. No one's going to see the Lord. Why? Because what you're saying and what you're doing don't match. You're not walking the talk. You're a hypocrite. Who's going to believe that? And Jesus says this, even on the flip side, he says it in John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you're my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. So what God is saying here in this text, is that as we display our love for our fellow mankind, as we pursue peace with all men, and as we display our love for our, for our Lord by pursuing holiness, it, that's where the match is. How do you know someone is godly? How do you know someone loves God? Do they think the things of God are important? Does it shape their life? Do they pursue holiness? Do they put things in their life that stimulate them to grow in holiness? And what that does is it creates as an evangelistic tool a practical and living illustration of what happens to a person dominated by Christ, moved by Christ, ravished by Christ, who sees the beauty of Jesus. If it's truly real in you, brothers and sisters, it draws others. So relying on Christ for strength and healing others with the gospel and leaving a straight path and loving people and loving God is an attractive force for the reality and the validity of the gospel. Continue in the race. Focus on the essentials. And lastly, Watch for pitfalls. As we run this race, continue it. Know it's for the long haul. Know where to find strength, right? Help others as they're running. Focus on the essentials. Loving God, loving mankind. And number three, watch for pitfalls. Or maybe you could say watch for potholes. But I like pitfalls because they're more serious, right? He says in verses 15 to 17, I'll read it. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. He says, see to it, and he uses this verb to look upon, to see. The word is used in its derivative form for the word overseer. And he tells us to be alert for three possible dangers. First, unconverted souls in the church. 
watch for unconverted souls in the church. He says in verse 15a, notice he says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Come short means to come too late, to miss, to be excluded, to go lacking. This is an unbeliever who misses the grace and the forgiveness of Christ forever. Someone who goes to their death and never turns to Christ, who dies with their fist toward heaven and is excluded from heaven forever. And what he's saying, notice, who is he talking to? He is talking to this mixed group of people. He says, see to it that you do everything in your power. You expend all energy. You you give yourself to prayer. You disciple. You spend late nights with your kids. You see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Oh, how sad it's going to be that many have come to church and they've gone to church for years and you know it. And they grow up and they don't see the beauty of Christ. And when they come of age, they turn away and they apostatize. The Bible says, church, you are to see to it, to be alert for those Those who are self-deceived, who think they're believers. Those who watch sermon after sermon with no life in Christ. And they come short of the grace of God. We are brothers and sisters. If you are a believer in Christ and you are a member of this church, you are to do everything in your power to present anyone who comes in contact with us any influence we may have to hear about the salvation that comes in Christ, that no one may come short of the grace of God. And you are to have this view in mind, brothers and sisters. We're not playing games here. We're not here for cookies and coffee only. These are the souls of men and women. If you are parents, if you are not praying for your kids, then who will? Who will pray for their souls like that? If you are not talking and tackling those difficult discussions with your kids, then who will? Who is going to present the gospel of Christ so that they don't come up short at His grace? Watch for unconverted souls in the church. Just because they're coming doesn't mean they're a Christian. Watch for a root of bitterness in the church. Watch for a root of bitterness. Notice he says in 15, the second portion, 15b. See to it, and that's the verb, that no one comes short of the grace of God. See to it, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. He's saying... That someone, he's saying that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. This is someone who has a superficial connection with the church. And then goes back to his own idols or his own lusts. This person becomes bitter. The word there for bitter is they have animosity and anger. And you can tell it's seething in them. 
You want to know if you're here and you're forced here. You know, we want to know where the source of your anger and your animosity towards God. It's your own heart. And they become prideful and arrogant and haughty. They flip off God in their own hearts. And then it says, and, it, and by it many be defiled. See, some fall away and you never hear from them ever again. But some fall away and they become bitter and they defile the whole body of Christ and they cause dissension. They spread lies and doubt. He is the person or she is the person who not only falls to their sin, but wants to bring everyone down with them. The Bible says to watch for that. Because my many will be defiled. Watch also for a culture of selfishness in the church. So be careful of that people will come short of the grace of God. Be careful that there's a bitterness. Be careful that there's a culture of selfishness. He uses the example of Esau, verses 16 to 17, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. We know he, he gave it up for a bowl of lentils. Esau, was he had no morality. Notice he's immoral or godless. He was, he was secular. He was godless. He sold what he had for lentils. He was a man who simply believed in the world and what it had to give. He had no thought of God, no thought of the afterlife or sin or forgiveness. And notice he says, For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it for many tears. And sadly, sadly, you'll start to see that folks only come because they want something out of church. But they don't want the Christ. And though they don't want him, they go away. And what happens? Some of them even are saddened at their state. Some of them even cry at their state. Many weep at their consequences. But it's not a godly sorrow. It's not a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. It doesn't turn to Christ. It's just simply bad feelings pricking their conscience. It's like Judas in Matthew 27. What, Jesus, what Judas said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. And instead of Judas repenting, he threw the pieces of silver in the sanctuary and departed. And he went away and he hanged himself. He was overwhelmed with the evil that he has done, but he still didn't repent. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7, that you were made sorrowful, but we, I, Paul says, I, I wish that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God in order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Yes, you, you could feel sorry, you could weep for your sin, but that's not the same as repentance. This is so confusing for the church. They think simply because there's an altar call and people are weeping and crying for their sins, that that means salvation. It doesn't. A changed life means salvation. You will know them by their fruits. And church, we need to watch for this. That the gospel that we give is the life-changing gospel of Christ. And that's what we watch for. Not simply sorrow over sin, but repentance. 
a changed life, a changed heart, a love for his word, a love for his people, a love for Christ. Call them to Christ. So as we continue to follow God, as we follow God, continue, continue on. Know where strength and healing comes. Help others along the way. Focus on the essentials. Loving God and loving mankind. Making peace. And watch for pitfalls of sin and bitterness and selfishness. And continue on this race called following Christ. He is worth it. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God. You have to move. We see your beauty. You have done a work in our lives. We don't want anyone who's hearing this to leave short of the grace of God. They're playing with fire and they don't know it. Before they know it, it'll be too late. Lord, I pray that if there is someone there that doesn't know you, I pray you would hound them. You would bring them to their knees. You would show them your majesty and your worth of worship. And that you would show them your kindness. That's what you did with us. You were kind to us. We couldn't help but fall in love. You washed away all of our sins. Christ, help us to rightly take communion. Thank you for your thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the Lord's day. What a sweet Lord's day. In Jesus name. Amen.